You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Eric Coleman. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co host, Mr. Eric Coleman. What up, what up? How are we, Eric? I'm doing great, man. Uh, enjoying my Saturday. Uh, ready to talk some sports with my dog. Absolutely. As you guys know, this is brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine, JVC Broadcasting, and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I'll tell you right now, Long Island is so it's so hot right now. It is humid outside. It's going to be about 105 degrees today. It's completely absurd. How is it over there in Florida? Man, you know what? It's been raining the last couple of days in Florida, which is sort of a relief. You know, it's obviously <laughs> it's the summer here, so it's been hotter than fish grease. But uh, thankfully fish that grease. weather has gone up to New York and <laughs> given us a break a little bit. Let you guys get a taste of what Uh-oh. we've been going through. Fish grease? I never heard that before. Yeah, you know, that fish grease has to be hot when you, when you put the catfish in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's only fish grease when over here in Long Island when my underwear is cramming up my rear end. So that's the only fish grease I'm going to be thinking about moving forward today at 105 degrees humidity. But I don't even want to get into that. Let's get into some sports. And I wanted to get into this topic because, to me, this topic bothers me more than anything when it comes to college sports. Should college players get paid? And I've argued this on my radio shows for the last couple of months, really for the last year. And we've talked to athletes. We've talked to recruits. We've talked to even professional football, professional basketball players about this particular subject. And I want to know your opinion, Eric, because to me, everybody knows what I think. And I will get into this and I will backfire on whatever you say, because to me, this is a touchy subject. And a lot of recruits think that they should get paid, especially when they only play one or two years, especially in basketball, college basketball. Football, you have to play two years for order for you for you to have the opportunity to get into the NFL draft. So, what is your opinion towards this subject? Well, you know what, that's a it's a touchy subject as you mentioned, and, and one that I, you know what, I, I, as much as I want to say that college players should be getting paid, and as much as I think I needed to get paid more when I played. Um, it's going to be hard. It's a difficult scenario because you, you can't just think about uh, football. You know, football is the, is the moneymaker for most universities. They bring, that brings in the money. Uh, I, I know when we went to bowl games, we brought in millions of dollars for our university. And we were stuck with a, a stipend, you know, on full scholarship for your rent was about $540. And our rent was like 265 You know, you buy a couple of groceries here. And, you know, by, by the end of the, the check, I mean, you, there's nothing left. You know, everything is everything is spent up and, you know, you can't even get a car. You can't buy yourself a nice pair of shoes. So so in in that sense, it's a little troubling. And and I wish that more money was allotted to these players. But at the same time, it's hard to to argue that, you know, the the, you know, the the swim team should be getting paid the same amount of money as the football team. And, you know, when you break it down, it's hard to just, you know, piece up the money and. You know, I, I think the stipend should be, you know, a little more aggressive. I think play, you know, they should get paid a little more money. 
you know, we're not allowed to have jobs. We're not allowed to, to go out and make money for ourselves. And, you know, it, to be stuck in a situation where we're fully dependent on the university and, uh, and don't have any means of income unless you have parents that have some money, it's a, it's a tough situation. You know, especially when you, you get into these, how much money these coaches are making. You know, you know, I know Nick Saban makes seven, eight million dollars a year. You know, all those other coaches are making, you know, half a million dollars, you know, six figures comfortably, if not seven figures. And they're getting paid off the yes, they're putting in work. The coaches, you know, put a lot of time in and, and put a lot of effort into game planning. But at the end of the day, it's the players that go out there and make plays. It's the players that the fans pay tickets to come see. You know, it's the players that generate the money. And the, the fact that the players don't get compensated anything close to what the coaches are. You know, I think that's a little off balance and it's, it's a little unfair. And I understand that they, they have to get paid again. You know, that's their profession. You know, everyone's going to say, you know, the players, you get an education, but the amount of money that the university makes off of these players, off the backs of these players is ludicrous, you know, and, and for them to not get anything is tough. It's just, I don't have a solution for, who gets what and how much money should be paid. First of all, and I agree with you, I think players should get paid in some other kind of ways. Now, we've heard the stories coming out uh, when Johnny Menzel was playing uh, college football for Texas A&M, and Johnny Menzel was signing autographs and, and getting paid to sign autographs. And mm-hmm. this is the problem right now, I believe, in college football. The NCAA does not want these players to make any kind of money off their own names. I believe that every single college player, I don't care if they're superstars or they're second-tier players, if they're a name and they have jerseys and they want to sign autographs and they want to make a little extra money for their pockets, they should be allowed to do that. And I think the problem right now with the NCAA is they're trying to put all the money in their pockets. All these coaches are putting money in their pockets. And these players are, are kind of like going back and forth. Well, what happens if I'm not going to be a professional player? What happens if I hurt my knee? What happens if I hurt my foot and I can't play college football anymore and I can't go to the pros even though I'm a, a top prospect? That's the problem right now when I look at college football, college basketball. College basketball, yeah, you're getting a college education. Some of these guys, some of these athletes are only playing one year and going right into the NBA draft. Why should they go play NCAA basketball when they could go play in the G League and make $500,000? That's a problem. That is a huge problem. It's it's a great point you make. And, you know, know, I could take it, uh, you know, back to examples of when I was in school when, you know, you you hear about guys, you know, exchanging merchandise for for goods, Mm -hmm. right? And I remember um, Hamza Abdullah, he, he was uh, my roommate. He played seven years in the NFL, um, you know, very close friend of mine. I remember summers when we would have to be in Pullman. Have to be, I went to Washington State University. We'd have to be in Pullman to, to train, to work out. And the money was even lower in the summertime. I remember going to the grocery store, filling up our cart with food, and not knowing that I had no money on my debit card, I would go, we went up to the cashier and I remember giving my debit card and we would just look at each other with our fingers crossed that that <laughs> car would clear. And if it did, we were like, Oh my goodness, you know, we have food. And if not, then, you know, we were going to be, you know, struggling, struggling to find something to eat. Like I remember my brother and my mom had to put food packages together and have my brother drive him down with canned goods because we didn't have any money to eat. Now, you know, do I do I think that I need to be going to Ruth Chris and, you know, having a bunch of money in my pocket? No, you're a college student. But at the same time, I shouldn't be, you know, struggling to get 
to get some food in my food in my refrigerator uh, to get by. Can't get school clothes, you know, all these other things. When when so much money is being generated uh, by these colleges, look at look at what's going on with Zion Williamson. I mean, the story's coming out with Duke, and now Duke might get in trouble because supposedly they helped buy a house for Zion Williamson's family. They gave him a hundred thousand dollars. DeAndre Ayton over there in Arizona State. I mean, it was Arizona, right? Arizona. Arizona. So Arizona, all the stories that came out when he came into the NBA, the stories coming out from uh, Arizona and the coach going back and forth, all the crazy things that the FBI was trying to record and try to get all these coaches in trouble. I understand why the NCAA is, is dropping the hammer on some of these players if they find out they're making money. But what I don't understand is all these coaches, you're talking about Nick Saban, you mentioned him, you're talking about all the top coaches. How about Coach K? How much money is he making? Eight, nine million dollars a year as a basketball coach? And then you see some of these superstars that come out of these schools that made not a dime. And they only play one year of eligibility and they go right into the NBA draft. MLB players are completely different because some of them have a choice if they want to go play college ball or they want to go right into the draft and be drafted and play minor league baseball. There's a lot of 16-year-old baseball players right out of high school that get dra- not get drafted, pretty much get signed from different countries, and they go right into uh, the MLB, or they play AAA or A AA or single-A. So really the only two sports that I'm talking about right now, and I know what you were saying about swimming – uh, there's a badminton team. I mean, you're not going to pay these guys. You're, uh, I understand that. But you have superstars, especially in football and basketball, Eric. And you're looking at the big picture here that these guys believe that they should get paid. And I agree with them. I really do because when, when you look at every single thing that's going on in, in the NCAA right now and look at right now the ball games, look at how much money – the NCAA and these schools are making for every single ball game they make. I think an average of $10 million a ball game. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And that's not counting the TV deals that they're getting for every single game that's aired on ESPN, CBS, or NBC. Well, you know, I mean, that's, that's a great point. But you have this thing called Title IX where there's women's sports. There's other sports that go of on. Of course. So- you can't just pay basketball and football. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you justify that to a university or to a parent who's sending their kid to school? Um, it, it's not going to happen. So, you know, you have to get realistic with it and see that, you know, the, the players should not be making salaries. You know what I mean? I, they shouldn't be making, you know, $100,000. You know, I'm talking, when I say getting paid, I'm talking three or $4,000 a month. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To each player. I agree. Because, you just need money to get by, to have some money in your pocket. Uh, you know, if you look at the Army and the Naval Academy, they pay those servicemen and women when, when they go to school there, when, they, when they're athletes. They get paid a stipend each year you're there. You get paid a certain amount of money, and that's how it should be. You should, you, you're, you're going to work. You're, you're going to, you know, you put in your time doing your books, and then you go do your craft. Yes, you're getting a scholarship. I understand that, and I know everyone will say, you know, you're getting $100,000 a year scholarship, whatever, whatever. Okay. I understand that too. You know, they are getting paid in that way, but let these kids have some money in their pockets because they cannot work. They're not allowed to. And, and it's a tough schedule. It's, it's, it's demanding to have to go do your athletics after athletics. You build your schedule around your practice schedule, your school schedule around your practice schedule. And when you're not practicing, you're not lifting weights. You're not in the treatment center. 
you got to be studying your books. You got to be in the study lab. So there's no, there's not even time. If they could work, there's not time for them to make money. So I think it would be the right thing to do. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get into the Yankees and Mets preview. Obviously, everybody knows that the Yankees are going to start their season on Thursday. The Mets as well coming up this week. So we're going to get into that. And after that, we're going to have special guests, ex-New York Jet, ex um, I'm sorry, Kansas City Chief player, and I believe Hall of Famer fullback. You're saying it. I'm saying it. Tony Richardson here on the Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Shout out to Long Island from listening for listening to us every single Saturday. As you know, I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Eric Coleman. I want to get into the Yankees and Mets preview. And I, I know baseball is about to start, and a lot of people are arguing, should baseball start 60-game season with all the COVID-19 and all the the stipulations and, and the craziness with the, the league thoughts of what what they should do if somebody comes down with COVID-19. Uh, really, everything that's going on in the MLB and professional sports is really going back and forth because of COVID-19. But the New York Yankees are starting this week on Thursday against the World Series champion, the Washington Nationals. And I, I go back and forth with the New York Yankees because the Yankees right now are 100% healthy. You have Aaron Judge, 100% healthy, no more rib problems. John Carlos Stan, who, since he's come to the Yankees, have had injury after injury after injury. The guy can't stay healthy. This guy, two, three years ago, was the National League um, uh, MVP. And then you look at him coming to the Yankees. Since he's come to the Yankees for about a year and a half, he really has done nothing for the New York Yankees because he can't stay healthy. Glaber Torres had a great season last year, had close to 40 home runs. He, he did what he was supposed to do. He took over the shortstop position over Didi Gregorius, who's now playing for Philadelphia. So the Yankees are in good shape. You have James Paxton. You have Masahiro Tanaka. You have, uh, you have obviously, Garrett Cole, the $326 million player that the Yankees overpaid for in the offseason. Eric, I want to know your opinion towards this because I know you live here in New York, and I know you're a Met fan. You said that last week, so I'm not going to blow your head up, and we will get into the New York Mets and preview the New York Mets. What are your thoughts, the Yankees this year, going into the season, 60-game season, being 100% healthy? The, the Major, League, Major League, the American League is in trouble. You know, with the Yankees fully healthy, you know, with the amount of talent that they have on that squad, uh, 60 games it's a wrap for the rest of the American league. You know, I, I think the Yankees are going to, they're going to come out on fire. They're going to, you know, it's a short sprint, you know, 60 games is nothing to them. They're going to run through this 60 games, make it through the playoffs. And you're going to be world champs at the end of the, <laughs> at the end of really? the Really? You think the Yankees yeah, are going to win the world series? I think it's one of those years, you know, they have a ton of talent right now. And as you mentioned, you know, Aaron judge, John Carlos Stanton and all the, the rest of the, the, the great players, Garrett Cole, everyone else who they have on this roster, healthy everybody's chomping at the bit to, to start playing there's no relaxing there's no pacing yourself come on man 
it's going to be the Yankees all day. I, what worries me about the Yankees is it is a 60-game season. And if you go into one of these slumps, a five-game slump, a six-game slump, it could really affect the Yankees and where their standing is and, and where they're set up in the standings. Because you, you play 162 games. You can have one of those bad drives, where bad situations where you, you go on a 10-game 10 10 game skid where the Yankees are not playing good baseball. And then all of a sudden they can win five, six, seven games in a row with their pitching and with their lineup and get themselves out of trouble. The Yankees' bullpen is stacked this year. They have a great bullpen. They have guys like Garcia who's going to be chopping up the bit to come up and be the top pitcher that a lot of people think he's going to be. People are comparing him to Pedro Martinez. Last night, Domingo Haman has come out and said that he's retiring. I mean, uh, with the whole, the whole scandal, the domestic violent uh, thing that he had uh, last year. So there's so much going on with the New York Yankees. And again, it's a 60-game season. So my argument to the Yankees is not that they're not good enough. They're great. They're, they're set to be their favorite. Them and the Dodgers are favorite to come out of the National League and the American League and be champions. The only thing that bothers me about the Yankees right now is where they're at with 60 games. Aaron Boone, nobody's been in this situation before because of COVID-19. And knowing that there's only 60 games left, if they start off the season a little rough, 1-6 in six or 1-5, in five, and they get caught behind some of these teams like Tampa or even the Blue Jays right now in their division, it could be really, really scary for the New York Yankees moving forward this season. Well, you know, I, I think I, I would agree with that, but I would agree with that with every team. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be you have to come out the gate strong. And if any team is going to be equipped – to handle that, you know, let's say, you know, one or two players come out slow, you know, uh, they, they come out slow and they're, and they're not in their groove right now. The Yankees have an all-star team. They have a bunch of guys who can pick up. So it doesn't always have to be on one player's shoulders. A lot of these other teams have one or two stars that they have to rely on to come through every week with the Yankees. I mean, it's like you can pick your poison. You know, they, you go through that batting, you go through that batting lineup and, and at any given day, Somebody can have two or three home runs or, you know, drive in two or three runs and and you end up with a W. So, you know, that's the advantage I think the Yankees have over the rest of the field is that they have so much talent from from top to bottom. You know, you look at their bullpen, you look at their their lineup. uh, It's just they're just they're stacked. You know, one player can afford to have a couple of bad games because the other one will use will be their crutch. But also looking at looking at the Yankees schedule. The Yankee schedule is pretty hard in the beginning. You're playing the World Series champions in the first game of the season on Thursday. You're playing Washington in Washington. Well, we don't know if it's going to be played in Washington because right now in Washington, D.C., COVID-19 is completely um, it, it's spreading all over there. So they don't even know if they're going to be playing in Washington. It might be on the outskirts of Washington. So, again, going into the season, the Yankees are in good shape. Their lineup is, is stacked. DJ LeMay, who had a borderline MVP season last year, he's going to have to do what he did last year, and he's going to be a starter this year at second base. So he's going to play a lot this year. Even though there's only 60 games, they're going to depend on him a lot. Brett Gardner is the leader of the team. Luis Saverino is out for the season with Tommy Johns. But this is a team that is stacked. They have a great lineup. And, and again, Aaron Hicks has to stay healthy. John Carlos Stan has to stay healthy. Miguel Andahar has to stay healthy. These are great players. You look at their lineup. It's, it's talent. 
But what worries me about the Yankees is 60 games and being that they missed practically spring training, uh, they didn't have a real spring training, and there's no 162 games. There's no workout, pre-workouts for these pitchers and catchers. I worry about the Yankees staying healthy. As far as the New York Mets are concerned, with the Mets uh, trying to sell their team, the Wilpons or what we call the Coupons, uh, going into a 60-game season, I am actually – more excited for the Mets than the Yankees. And I'm a Yankee fan. And the reason why is a 60-game season with the Mets pitching staff and some of the acquisitions that they've made, Sesame is coming back 100% healthy with the middle of their lineup now being stacked. The Mets haven't been this good in a very, very long time. They have the power in the middle of the lineup, and they have the pitching to win ball games. Now, Noah Syndergaard is out for the season with Tommy Johns. There's no question that you have to look at the big picture here. Losing a pitcher of that magnitude, uh, it, it does hurt him. But they brought in Michael Waka. You brought in guys like Purcello, who, who has been a good pitcher in the league. He was an MVP. I mean, a Cy Young winner uh, a couple of years ago for the Boston Red Sox. So, they have talent. The question is, are they going to be able to put it together with everything going on the, the back end of ownership and management? You know about Carlos Beltran. You know, you heard about Carlos Beltran. He got fired because of the whole Houston Astros situation. So they had to bring in another coach, another manager to take over uh, the team. So, again, what worries me about the Mets isn't the fact the talent is worrying me. What worries me about the Mets is the leadership. Are they going to be able to lead that team in a 60-game season to the playoffs? And with that pitching staff, with Jacob DeGrom 100% healthy, they could be scary, including their bullpen, adding Batanzas to that bullpen. Well, you know, I believe they can be scary as well. But, you know, the, the great thing about sports is that, you know, you have all these distractions of COVID, of the ownership, um, you know, off-the-field issues. All these players want to do is start playing. And, and once you start playing, all those distractions go out the window and you go back to your natural element of just playing ball. And, and I think that that's going to work to the Mets advantage. You know, all these outside, uh, you know, distractions. Of course, you live in the media capital of the world. You're going to be asked about what's going on off the field. But once you step on, once you step in between those lines, it's, it's therapy. You know what I mean? When you're, when you're an athlete. And I think that they're, they'll come together. Uh, they'll, they'll focus on the task at hand. And they're going to put some good wins together. So, you know, this is going to be exciting. It's, it's going to be much like the NBA where, you know, it's a, it's a, a small – it's a fraction of the season. It's a sprint uh, to the finish. And it's going to be exciting to see who gets hot. It's almost like going into a playoff scenario – when you when you find that team that you know they're nine and seven in the NFL and you know going into the wild card game they get hot they get hot at the right time that's what's going to happen right here in, in baseball is like it, it depends on whoever team gets hot whoever can be consistent for this sixty game sprint and, and make it through the playoffs so I'm excited for the Mets as well you know I, I think that they have a, a make a strong case uh, to 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 win the NL and it's going to be an exciting time for New York. I know all of us New Yorkers need need some sports to get our minds off of what's going on. But uh, you know, just to dip back really quick about what you said about the Yankees, mm -hmm. you know, starting at starting in Washington, there's no home field advantage anywhere. No, you know, there's not going to be any crowd. So you know what I mean? It, it, they're playing in an open space. You know, they're just playing ball. So I don't know how much the the home field advantage unless you're looking at statues in the back of the stadium. So you know, I, it's just going to come down to playing ball. Um, who can who can put up the most runs and, and make the least amount of mistakes? And I agree with you. And I look at the New York Mets too. You would just mention the Yankees. I look at the Mets. They have Michael Conforto. They have Jeff McNeil. They have Marcus Stroman. I mean, their story is coming out with the New York Mets. There was a lot of fighting 
in the locker room when Marcus Stroman was traded to the New York Mets, and there were stories coming out, he didn't want to be a Met. He wanted to be a Yankee. He's from Long Island. He's from Patchogue. And he wanted to play for the New York Yankees because he was in the American League with the Blue Jays. He was traded to the New York Mets. And there, there were, again, we talk about this over and over again. Could Marcus Stroman keep his mouth shut? And I'm not, I'm not taking shots at Mar- Marcus Stroman as a person. I don't know. It, it, the stories coming out from the Mets organization and really the Mets locker room and some insiders stating that he doesn't get along with a lot of people. He didn't get along with a lot of people with the Blue Jays as well. This team needs to be together. If they have any chance to get in, getting into the playoffs and being a competitive team against some of the top teams in the National League, like the Dodgers, they have to figure things out. So... I'm looking forward to this season. I think the Mets are a team that is more uh, built for a 60-game season than the New York Yankees, as crazy as that, as that may, may sound, because the Yankees are in it for the long run. The Mets, are they're, they're really built for this season. With Cespedes coming up on his, the last year of his contract, you have Jeff, Jeff McNeil, you have the Panda uh, trying to prove to everybody that he could do it a second year in a row, giving them at least 20 home runs in a short season. So, they have a lot to prove. The Mets have a lot to prove, but the Yankees have more on their shoulders because they're expected to win. The Mets aren't. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have great, yes, NFL great, ex-chief, ex-Jeff, and ex-everybody, Tony Richardson. If you don't know who he is, he is going to be a Hall of Fame fullback in the near future. One of the best fullbacks to ever play in the NFL here on the Weekend Crunch. Are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. As you guys know, this is brought to you by the Weekend Crunch. Is brought to you by JVC Media. We're also brought to you by the Worldwide Sports Radio Network and the New York Sports Scene Magazine. We have a special guest, Eric. We we are in rare air today. For our first guest on the Weekend Crunch, my dog, 17-year NFL veteran, three-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, <laughs> Peyton Man- uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year Award winner, Kansas City Chiefs Ring of Honor, <laughs> of, uh, man, I, I, and my brother, man, my brother <laughs> right here, my fraternity brother, my NFL fraternity brother, Mr. Tony Richardson. How you doing, brother? Man, I'm so uh, I'm so blessed to be on your show this morning. I think I need to start carrying you with me everywhere I go. So before <laughs> I walk into the grocery store, before I go outside, I need everyone to just pause and stop what they're doing. Let you do that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing intros and theme music for you wherever you are. <laughs> I love it, <laughs> man. So you know, there's a lot going on. How are you? How are you? Um, hanging in there, you know, with COVID going on, living in yep. New York City, you know, how had things been for you? Uh, you know, the thing about it was uh, our last travel date was around the middle of March, and we actually had a, uh, a Legend Summit that was in Vegas, and we were all, uh, uh, Tracy Perlman had uh, rented out a nice restaurant, we're all there, all of a sudden our phones started going off, we were to get bear test positive, everybody, and then the whole world seemed like it just stopped. I was fortunate to make it back in, um, into New York on that Thursday, and pretty much just went in full lockdown mode. So I have a I have a dog named Rambo, as you know. He might join a Zoom call here in a little bit, but uh, yeah. so really, I just changed my entire schedule built around um, his walk schedule. And so I flipped everything. And so just because you know, at that time we didn't know should you wear a mask, should you not wear a mask, should you go outside, should you not. 
And so, man, I just pretty much just stayed in the house pretty much almost dang near 20, 24 hours, seven days a week. And the only time I would go out was just to take Rambo out. And I would take him out like super late at night and then super early in the morning just to kind of avoid, you know, running into people and different things like that. And so, uh, you know what, man, I've become a professional chef, um, cleaning every day. Um, I mean, pretty much everything. I think I'm going to open a restaurant when all this is said and done. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been it's been different. Um, you know, I think it's been really tough on my dog just because, you know, just like you, we both have busy lifestyles and we travel a lot. Dude, I've been home all day, every day, seven days, 24 hours a week. He's like, man, this is boot camp, man. I'm tired of going outside. <laughs> so uh, it's been good, though. It's, just, it's, been, it's been good. As you guys know, we are talking to ex-Jet fullback and ex-Kansas City Chiefs uh, fullback Tony Richardson. Tony, when you look at the fullback position and you look at the league as a whole, are you surprised that the fullback position isn't an important position anymore in the NFL? See, I'm going to have to disagree with you there because uh, I got this guy in San Francisco, uh, <laughs> Huzek. He's a beast. And it's funny because we actually linked up over uh, social media. And uh, he he was on NFL Network and he was listing his top five. And I think he had me like either number one or two. And for me, it just made my heart melt because I watched him play in the Super Bowl. Obviously, my uh, my Kansas City Chiefs were able to, uh, to to pull that out. But to see this kid play is in a position in a way they use him is something I always wanted to be able to do. I mean, they'll run him on a 15-yard crossing route. Uh, they'll hand him the football occasionally. They throw him balls in the flat. He's a great blocker. He's a great person, great human being. And so uh, fullback position, you know, obviously Devlin from the uh, Patriots just retired. Obviously the Chiefs have a good one. So there's, there's a few guys out there still trying to uh, still trying to lay the wood. But uh, it's definitely a position that I know one thing, the fullback position will not be getting Patrick Holmes on my home. That I know for a fact that, uh, you know, I love that Derrick Henry just got paid, but uh, – not quite sure if uh, if we're gonna have a fullback to sign a five hundred million dollar contract. <laughs> hey, that, that's a great segue to my next question, man. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Patrick Mahomes. Uh, they yeah. said what a five hundred three million dollar deal, ten years. Uh, can can you talk about your thoughts on where we have come as NFL players and in, in, in reaching these these great heights in salary and salary and and where do we go from here? Just talk a little bit about Mahomes' contract. Yeah, you know that's 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 a great um, you know. Uh, point you just made because uh, I was on the executive committee myself, Drew Brees, Jeff Saturday, uh, Kevin Mawai, Donovan, uh, Dominic Foxworth. So we were on that. We were on that executive committee that actually um, when we got locked out. And so a lot of people were saying uh, the players took a bad deal. You know, it didn't. It's not going to affect you guys because you guys are transitioning out. Granted, that was my last year, but we said that. And that's one thing we always want to do from the league standpoint, from the from the PA standpoint, is always leave the game better than it was before we got here. And that's what I think all the players like Troy Vincent, the guys who came before me, Gene Upshaw, those guys, they left it better for myself. And I wanted to do the same thing for you and obviously for the younger guys. And so in that first year, first the second year, that paragraph five number wasn't where guys thought it should be. But now all of a sudden, let's let's see guys go back now and be like, oh, the players took a bad deal because now Guys are going to the table and saying, you know what? And that was our biggest thing. That was always our biggest fight. Like, hey, Mr. Kraft, if we retire, we can't will you can't will your your career down to your son. Now the, the resources you made, you can give them that. But you own a football team. That football team is going to be in your family forever. You can will that down. So we need to start getting more guaranteed money. Uh, our paragraph five. And so when you see a guy like Kirk Cousins and he's like, okay, I'm gonna have eighty million dollars all guaranteed. Bang. That's when it starts the ball starts moving and now you look at Patrick Mahomes and it's a $500 million deal. And I think 400 and something's guaranteed. And all that's just going to be a trickle effect because now 
the Dak Prescotts, uh, you know, all these other quarterbacks, all these other running backs. Derrick Henry just got 25 million guarantee, and that's where it's, um, and that's what the, that's what this whole that whole lockout and everything was about to try to make sure that we left the game better than uh, than uh, than when we walked in. And that's a wonderful point, T. Rich. Uh, you know, I was a I was a union rep during those those negotiations as well, yeah. and I mean there were literally fights in locker rooms because guys were so upset that you know the money was being taken away from these rookies and not given back to the veterans. But exactly. uh, I mean, you see it now. You know, you're starting to see uh, Patrick Mahomes. Everyone asks, like, "Oh man, that's too much money." I'm like. Too much money. Actually, I mean, he took a pay cut. He, he set the bar. <laughs> he he took a pay cut. <laughs> and I said, if you imagine if somebody could pay him $500 million, imagine how much money they're making on the other end. Exactly. And, and Patrick Mahomes is one of the most dynamic players that this game has seen. Uh, he's young. He has a promising future ahead of him. And I'm excited to see where this goes because, I mean, the game is growing. It's a wonderful game. You know what I mean? That's why I'm excited for them to get back on the field. But uh, it, when I see guys like Derrick Henry, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson get paid these, these big numbers, man, that's yeah. exciting to us as players, man, because they're just raising the bar. For sure. And that's the thing that, you know, I never said I, I never wanted to be one of those veterans but like, man. Back when I played, you know, man, we were making peanuts. Look what these guys, you know, and I'm, I celebrate these guys. I, I literally was almost in tears when I saw Mahomes' contract because those are the things that we fought for. Those are the things, you know, the Freeman McNeil who put their name on the lawsuit back early, early, early days. I mean, that's what we were fighting for, just one, to have free agency, and two, now the system, I believe, works because, you know, you say, okay, here's Patrick Mahomes. He was a first-round draft choice. He did his time, and his contract was here. He show what he can do versus all of a sudden, like, okay, a guy comes in the league and you're the top safe in the league. And all of a sudden, just because the guy's a first round draft choice, he's going to make more in his first year than you made in your entire career. That's not fair. It's about putting that body of work on the field. Patrick Mahomes, uh, MVP, Super Bowl MVP. Guess what? You get rewarded. And that's the way I think the system should be set up. We are talking to ex-New York Jet and Kansas City Chief fullback Tony Richardson. Tony, let's talk about your time with the New York Jets and Rex Ryan, those two great teams that went to AFC title games and kind of fell short with Mark Sanchez. I don't want to talk about the butt fumble because you I were there. there. Well, there you weren't the there fumble. for that. <laughs> uh, well, thank yeah. God you weren't there for yeah, it. <laughs> but uh, the, great, the great teams that we saw with the, the New York Jets, uh, LaDainian Tomlinson, tell us a little bit about your time with the New York Jets with Rex Ryan. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because, uh, you know, when I left the Chiefs, I uh, went to the Vikings. It was obviously fortunate to block for a guy by the name of uh, Adrian Peterson. He has more muscles than uh, I think all four of us combined. But, uh, you know, <laughs> spent that time with, with the Vikings, and I thought my career was pretty much going to be over. I, I just made the Pro Bowl. It was 2008. And Jimmy Ray, um, uh, who was a running back coach, well, he was my running back coach with the Chiefs when I first came into the league. And uh, he coached, obviously, Marcus Allen, Eric Dickinson, and, you know, the list goes on. And so he calls me up. He's like, hey, pro, you got a little bit more gas in the tank. And I was like, Jimmy what are you thinking? I never envisioned ever playing in New York or living in New York. And he said, uh, you know, we're actually um, in need for a fullback and we're looking for a little bit of leadership. So bring me in and like, oh, you're going to be the captain of the team. And all of a sudden there was this guy by the name of uh, Eric Mangini who did not like fullbacks and did not, uh, <laughs> smartest football coach ever been around, but really didn't care for the fullback position. And so it was, it was a tough year. Obviously we had Favre come in. And then, uh, you know, after after that year, Mancini left, and then we brought in Rex, and it was a whole different attitude. It was like, I mean, it, it literally, like, I, I'm looking out my window right now. I live right across the street from a, a firehouse uh, here in Long Island City. And just to see the excitement in the air of 
now here's a guy that's saying, you know what, we're the New York Jets, and if you don't like it, then say something about it. And if you hit one of us, we're gonna hit two of you. And it was uh, it was at bravado. I think that's something that New York needed. I think that was something that Jet fans needed. It, it was just like a a jolt of, uh, of of fresh air. And then you look up, we have uh, Fanica, we had Damian Woody, Thomas Jones. You know, we had all these guys. You know, uh, Leon Washington. Uh, Jericho Cotri, I mean, you you name it, across the board, defense, Bart Scott. We started bringing these guys in, Jason Taylor. And uh, next thing you know, we have hard knocks. I get a chance to see my career played out over the HBO. My parents <laughs> do too. My mom called me every day, son, you're going to get cut. They got a fullback named Terminator. And so I was like, mom, just hang in there. We're going we're gonna to make it. We're going to get through this. And uh, it was uh, it was good, man. We, you know, for me personally, I had never won a, uh, all those years, 13-3 and three in Kansas City. You know, I was in my, what, 16th year, had never won a playoff game. All of a sudden, uh, we started winning playoff games, and we made it to the AFC Championship game, came up a little short, made a second run at it, and obviously we lost in Pittsburgh, which is my last. And I don't even want to bring it up because it almost gets me teary-eyed because that black and yellow song still sticks in my head. <laughs> so after we lose that game, Mike Tomlin was our defensive coordinator um, when I was in uh, Minnesota. So I'm trying to – uh, I'm trying to get over to say congratulations to Mike Tomlin. They're putting the stage out, pushing me out of the way. Confetti's falling. They put a stage up. Next thing I know, I see that song, Black and Yellow, Black and Whisk Leaf sung that song with a mink coat on live. And I was like, uh-uh. Oh. I was just like, my career is over and I got to hear Black and Yellow. So, uh, uh, but, you know, congratulations to them. But that was, that was uh, it was a good run for sure. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll have more with Tony Richardson here on the Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Eric Coleman. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern New York time. We have our special guest, Tony Richardson, on with us right now. I'll tell you this right now. I'm having a lot of fun with Tony. Tony has given us some good insight, not only with his chief career, but his Jets career. Tony, let me ask you this question. When, when you look at the Jets right now as a whole, with a young quarterback like Sam Darnold, Jamal Adams, I mean, the back-and-forth banter right now. He wants this big contract. And where the Jets are heading with a, a great GM like Joe Douglas with the great draft that they had, what do you think the Jets are going to do moving forward this season? Uh, you know, i tell you the truth. It's, uh, I think the balance of power, uh, well, you can kind of say the balance of power kind of shifted because that guy by the, uh, who wore that number 12, who was our nemesis for, for all those years, <laughs> has moved on, but then now we have two Auburn quarterbacks down in the, with the Patriots. But uh, I, I like the Jets. I, you know, it's one of those things, and I'm not saying it because I'm a homer, but I really like the structure in, in which the way they're building the team. I like Joe Douglas. Uh, Eric and I both had opportunities to sit down with him. Uh, we love his thought process. We like how he uh, is going to build through the draft, you know, building through free agency, obviously re signing the, the main guys. And, I, you know, you start talking about, you know, Jamal and, you know, and that's the thing about it. You get all of a sudden, you're like, I want to be paid. I want to be paid. Then you see this $500 million contract. <laughs> he's not backing down, and nor should he. Um, you know, he's a, he's a generational talent, uh, a guy who can pretty much do it all. And obviously, Eric can speak on that better than me since he's on the defensive side of the ball. But he's a, he's a tone setter. And when you put him out on the field, I don't care if you, you could put him in the box at, at, uh, at linebacker. You could rush him off the edge. You can play him deep. He can cover. So everything. He, he's a guy that's gonna that's gonna set the tone for your defense. Um, I like that. I like that team a lot. You know, um, 
Sam Darnold, uh, you know, I've been watching him on Instagram. He's getting after it. He looks better than ever. Obviously, the third year for a quarterback is when they really come into their own. You know, you got weapons now. I mean, you, I mean, there's really no excuse. There's no excuse but now to go out and perform. Only excuse is not even an excuse because obviously we know how serious COVID is. But I think uh, COVID is probably going to be the only thing that's going to prohibit the Jets, I think, from having a, having a good year. Well, T. Rich, you know, I know that you you are a director for the NFL Legends com- uh, community. Uh, you know, you do a, a lot of great things for former players, uh, but you're in the you're in that building. You're in the NFL building. What are you hearing in regards to where we're going to go uh, for this upcoming season? Is there going to be a season? Are there going to be fans allowed? Uh, what have you been hearing? You know, the thing about it, Eric, is I think you're hearing it and we're hearing it and we all hear it at the same time. Like, literally, I was on a phone call. And I just happened to pop on. Uh, I was talking to my buddy, you know, J.K., Jeremy Kelly from Buffalo. Yeah. And I was on a call with him in the morning time. Next thing you know, we turned on ESPN. And it was like, oh, the NFL just canceled the first two preseason games. I was like, wait a minute, what? Like, they didn't even, like, but then I, then I found out that that's not even, in, that's not even an ink yet. I mean, that's something that leaked. And it's something that they were negotiating. So we don't know if there's going to be uh, four, four preseason games, two preseason games, no preseason game, some fans, no fans. And so I think right now it's just kind of, uh, and unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately for the NFL, everything still went on as planned. I mean, free agency still kicked off. A lot of people were like, that's a little bit uh, insensitive. I kind of felt the same way. Like all of a sudden you're telling all these people you can't, you don't have a job, you don't have work. And then you turn on the TV and this guy signs for $50 million. This guy is $80 million. And you're sitting here like, man, I'm trying to make my, keep my lights on. So I, I did think that was a little bit much. But then obviously still having free agency, still having a draft. Off season has been a little bit different. Um, training camp supposed to start here in a, uh, what a, a week or so. So I think right now, just watching and seeing what other leagues are going to be able to do, see how the bubble works for basketball, see how baseball works, see how hockey works. Um, you know, I'm a huge UFC fan. I'm gonna be in front of the TV tonight. UFC's <laughs> done it the right way. No fans. And so uh, I think we'll be. Man, I tell you the truth. If we're more, if we get more than 15% fans in the, in the stadium this year, I would be very surprised. I'll tell you this, T. Rich. You better not tell me you're a Conor McGregor fan. You better uh, not you tell know, me. I, I like the Conor McGregor walker. I don't oh, think I can quite man. do it. That's the, that's the Vince McMahon walk. That's Vince McMahon. That's not Conor's walk. Well, I mean, he, he's, he's mocking like, him. You know, he, he, you know, he, he, he kind of took it and took it and ran with it. But, uh, you know, I'll tell you the truth, the last Conor McGregor fight, I was pulling for him just because that was the first time he really didn't – he wasn't talking junk prior to the fight. Uh, he wasn't like showboating his opponent. He did give you the little walk a little bit afterwards. But after, outside of that, he came into the ring ready to fight and he laid it on the line and he walked out like, like a champ. So, uh, uh, yeah, some of the actics, I'm not, you know, I'm an old school guy. When you score a touchdown, you just hand the ball back to the referee. I'm not going to be doing a kick worm or doing my dad. My, actually, my dad <laughs> would jump out of the stands be a military man if I was doing anything like that. But, uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. it was, I mean, all week long, it's been like UFC, I think, during Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. Saturday night, we had a great fight. Wednesday, we had some great fights. Uh, tonight, we have some great fights. And it's crazy. I'm a, I'm a huge UFC fan now. As you guys know, we are talking to ex-New York Jet and Kansas City Chief fullback, Tony Richardson. Yes, yeah, T. Rich. So, um, you, you know, we, we talked about COVID. We talked about the NFL coming back. Uh, can we can we talk about what, what else you have going on? Are you, are you you know, I know you're a big, you know, cycling advocate, yoga advocate. What do you what are you doing to stay active during these these troubling times? Uh, you know, the biggest thing and it's funny because, uh, you know, my parents just like I, I, my parents worry about you. And my dad was just like, son, what, what are you doing? You got to get out of the house. I've been literally just been in isolation mode. I think the best thing to kind of help me is having Rambo, having a dog, because he forced me to get up in the morning 
because uh, there's some days, man, it feels like, especially living in New York City, I'm not down in uh, in beautiful Florida where you got the beaches, you got the water, you can go outside. Like, dude, in New York, it was like a war zone. I mean, it, and knock on, you know, and obviously a shout out to all our first responders and the nurses and the, and the doctors and everyone who was on that front line. But for a while, man, it was like, because we didn't know. It was just like, man, can you go outside? Um, things are started, slowly starting to open back up. So from an activity standpoint, you know, I'm still riding my bike. Um, going outside, running with Rambo in the morning, doing yoga. Um, Rambo? I actually, I, I, Rambo? Yeah, my dog's name Rambo. Oh, yeah, my God. tripod, man. Hey, hey, don't, you better put some respect on Rambo. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I'm a Rambo yeah, fan. Yeah, I'm a Rambo oh, fan. Yeah. I am. Rambo's a tripod, so I rescued him from Egypt. So he has, uh, he only has three legs. But I ain't going to say only has three legs. He has three legs. Rambo's <laughs> like, no, he said, don't cheat on my three legs, even though you got four. <laughs> Other dogs you're looking at him. You're trying to size them up. Rambo ain't about that life. He said, I'm not about it. <laughs> but anyway, man, just um, just staying active, man. And um, and I tell you, if I didn't, I think just having a, having a dog, uh, if not, I think the walls really would have start, you know, closing in because it's like, you know, I have great neighbors and, you know, we'll go up on the roof. Now we, we're able to go up on the roof and we're able to just, you know, like we have a pizza party last night. We're able to go and just had an activity to see some face to face. But uh, for the most part, man, it's just been been in the house. And like I said, my apartment is cleaner than it's ever been. I probably threw away so much. You know, we, we get so much, I mean, bags of like Nike this, Nike that. And it's like, man, if I put that shirt on, I'm gonna look like a homeless person. That shirt's a 2XL. <laughs> I can't do that 2XL anymore. I mean, I'm in the skinny jeans. And so, uh, uh, but yeah, man, just cleaning up and organizing my life and just getting things back on track. So it's, uh, it's been pretty cool. Tony, what is your your thoughts to this whole Washington Redskins? I guess you can call I, it I, 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 Washington football team. I, well, <laughs> I'm sorry, the Washington football team. This there whole scandal go. going on right now with uh, yeah. Daniel Schneider. He's not a popular uh, owner right now in the NFL. He hasn't been a popular owner in the NFL. Yeah. What is your thoughts to this story that just came out? Uh, you know, interesting enough, uh, it was crazy because I think a lot of people were sitting on their on the edge of their chair like, there's a big bombshell, there's a big bombshell, we're waiting for some news. And um, and when it dropped, it's just like, you know, it's one of those things that someone actually asked me this question, do you think that this could, it, something like this could happen uh, in all 32 NFL teams? And I said, just to be honest, I, I think it could because sometimes it's, it, and, and there's teams who have a great culture and just say, you know, because we had the situation with the Jets, like what you guys remember, where we had uh, Ian's, uh, I think Ian's Sanchez, we had the cat calling, we had to go through sensitivity training and all of that stuff. And it's all of a sudden, it's just like, it's a high testosterone, testosterone uh, environment and guys make make noises, different things like that. And that was something I even had to learn. Once you did that sensitivity training, how you talk to people, like you can say, hey, Eric, you look nice today. But if I say, hey, Eric, you look nice today. <laughs> like you got to be super careful. And that's the thing we're learning. And that's the thing about it. You got to take these allegations very seriously. You have to understand that this is a work environment and, and it kind of dialed back a little bit. I was watching uh, Michael Strahan. He did this thing on, um, I think it was good morning America. And they had a, 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 a panel of about three or four people and then they had the whole audience. And it was so much so that women nowadays and even men in their twenties and millennials, they don't ever want to be commented on how they look. Like for me being a Southern gentleman, like I might say, Hey, um, ma'am, you have, that's a nice red blouse you're wearing. They don't want any of that. So it's one of those things that you gotta, we gotta evolve. This is 2020, the days of like commenting and like, oh, you know, that's a nice skirt. You can't say that anymore. You gotta be like, hey, um, good job or something like that. You can't even comment on people's clothes and different things like that. So uh, it's gonna be interesting when all this stuff, you know, kind of comes to uh, comes to light and just see what the culture was. And I can't speak on it because I've 
never been in a uh, – I almost you almost got me. I've never been in a Washington football uniform. So, oh, stop. Uh, I, I, I always look at it because I can't name the team. I thought they were going to come out with a name a couple of days ago, and they still haven't come out with a name. Now you're, you're hearing all these speculations with the team. Now, now there's some owners say that Daniel Schneider should sell his team. I mean, there's yeah. so much going on right now in the NFL, and, and the Washington Redskins are in the middle of everything right now. Yeah, they, they really are. Um, I was watching this guy. He was on uh, ABC yesterday. The guy who owns 60 patents. Like, who? I want to be that guy. He, so he literally bought all 60 patents. And now, uh, and basically he said, I'll give it to you for free, but you got to make a donation to charity or something. But of course, if I own 60 patents and they all line up with something you want, yeah, I'm going to come. I'm coming. I'm coming swinging. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Hey, hey, T. Rich, you know, just along the lines of the, of the, Red, of the you know, the Washington Football Club, uh, th- their mascot and, the, and their name. Yeah. What about, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Cleveland Indians? Yeah. Do you feel that these teams need to change their name as well? Or is it less offensive uh, when you look at the Chiefs and, and the Indians and things like that? Yeah, this is, and the same thing with, the, the, you know, Florida State. Like growing up, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was a huge uh, Seminole fan and obviously they had the chop. And so it's one of those things I think it's having – people sit down at the table and having those conversations because if I think if if they had a thing um, you know the Kansas City um, you know blacks or something like that that would be offensive to me because that's part of my culture so I think sitting down with with Native Americans and just say is this is this offensive to you and if it is we'll make a change and I think that's where we are as a country now just understanding you know I'm I'm looking out my window and I see Black Lives Matter signs in my neighbor's window. I've seen the marches up and down my street. I drive up Fifth Avenue. When you get back, when you get back to the city, bro. You're not even gonna recognize it. Like Fifth Avenue's still boarded up. I was just in the city yesterday. Soho looks like a bomb went off. It's still <laughs> things wow. are still boarded up. More homeless people on the streets. Um, but it's one of those things. It's woke. It's woken America up and understanding like all lives matter. Black lives matter. Um, you know, now there's a voice and I think there's a movement that's being made. And I think that, you know, people are finally um, open to sit down and having these real conversations and saying, you know what, when you say certain words, they are very offensive. When you look at me a certain way because the color of my skin and you never, you know, I, uh, you know, classic examples, we could probably go about this all day long. It's like, oh, where'd you go to college? I went to Auburn. Did you graduate? I'm like, what? Did you graduate? Like, what do you think? I just went there to, uh, to play. I said, no, my dad was in the military. Yes, I graduated a high school. I graduated college and I do have an MBA. So please don't ask me that I graduate just because I'm an athlete and I'm African-American. So I think to sit down and having these conversations and understanding what words are offensive, uh, what gestures are offensive, because that Tomahawk talk, I think the Atlanta Braves are talking about maybe getting rid of it. Uh, maybe Florida State thinking about it. Chiefs, like, you know, if it's something to honor uh, Native Americans, I think keep it. If not, then we need to get rid of it and start changing these, uh, changing the dialogue. Before we yes, let you, sir. before we let you go, Tony, why don't you tell all the fans or give a shout out to anybody that you want to give a shout out to? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm giving a shout out to my man uh, E. Cole. You know, that's uh, he he hit me up, and uh, that's the thing about it, man. You talk about uh, the way football brings people together is uh, is amazing. It's one of those things like Eric and I actually never played together, but when a brother calls you and says, "Hey, man, I need you," guess what? You you get up in the morning. Uh, I was, I was, I woke up, I set my alarm, my eyes over and Alexa said, get up. And I was like, no, I don't want to get up today's Saturday. <laughs> but you do that because you know what, if I need my brother, if I ever need E. Cole, he's going to be there. Um, that NFL brotherhood is something very, very special. And it becomes closer. I have, I have a brother that lives probably 45 minutes away from E. Cole. Uh, he lives in Marymar, Florida. And I have all my families up and down the coast of Florida. And I have four brothers, two sisters. And I think I'm closer to some of my NFL family 
than I am my own brother just because, you know, I spend, especially when the season's rolling, I see E. Cole more than I see my dog Rambo. You know what I mean? I live with Rambo. <laughs> but that's the thing about it. That's what that brotherhood's about. It's always about having each other's back. So I'm going to give my shout-out today to E. Cole because I see him, like he said, man, when this thing hit, you know, when I'm packing the family up, they, they booked up out of here. They down in South Florida. E. Cole lifting all the weights. They, he, he's winning. I said, dude, you won, man. You won. You won. You can't get no more muscles. A thousand push-ups. A thousand push-ups. I, I watched his Instagram. This guy's yeah. doing a thousand push-ups. It's hey, crazy. I'm, I'm going to be back up there soon, my brother. Hey, tell him about that Murph. That Murph is no joke. I've done it one time, and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> oh, that Murph, man! That that you know, it, it's a whole nother level. It's mental, it's physical, it's all of it. Uh, you yeah. know, and, and shout out to to Murphy, man. That was um, yes. you know, that's an amazing workout. I love it. The, hard, the hardest part is running with that vest on, like the air squats with the all that stuff, the pull ups. But when you get that mile with that vest on, that's real. oh my goodness. <laughs> and, <laughs> so like that, it, it, the vest is never comfortable. It's rattling yeah. around. It's yeah, that's when that gorilla jump off that goalpost in the fourth quarter. He's like, oh, the monkey's on my back. <laughs> well, Tony, want, uh, before we let you go, why don't you tell all the fans how they can find you on social media? Uh, so social media, my uh, Twitter is at 49TRidge. My Instagram, which is private, but it, if it has a Jet logo in front of it, I accept you as Tony Rich NY. <laughs> and my Facebook is public, so it's uh, it's uh, it's Tony Rich. Uh, well, it's actually Tony uh, Tony Richardson. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of getting I'm kind of getting into the social media. I mean, obviously now, if you're not into social media, you're kind of behind the curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm uh, I, I try to post. I don't post on my Twitter account as much, uh, but obviously, uh, you know, I posted a little bit on my Instagram last night. Just uh, uh, you know, just some different things that were really near and dear to my heart. But, uh, you know, I try to stay active and try to keep, try to keep, my, uh, keep my followers engaged if I can. As you guys know, we were just talking to Tony Richardson. Tent. Tony, thank you for joining us, my friend. Thanks, thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Nicole. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get into this Washington football team. We're going to talk about Daniel Schneider here <laughs> on the Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch, and we are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Mr. Eric Coleman. I say Mr. because I have a lot of respect for you. I'm a, a huge Jet fan, as you know. Like, like you were telling Tony, we, we, got, we got to know each other at a lot of these events that we've been doing together. And it's, it's crazy when you look at the, the whole big picture of where we are going with the Weekend Crunch and where we could be in the future with this show. It's unbelievable. I, I'm very happy that you're my partner. I really appreciate it. But you were just telling me a story about uh, Tony Richardson when we were at break. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, Tony Richardson is, is a very close friend of mine. And, you know, when, we, when he says the NFL brotherhood, it's, it's a real thing. You know, there, there was a time a couple of years ago, I had this football camp on Long Island out of uh, Longwood uh, Middle School. And, and I had this football camp. I planned it for a year and I got, I got signed on with CBS Sports. And they, they give me the, the notice that I have a mandatory orientation that I have to go to. And it's like the second day of my camp. And I'm, and I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, what am I going to do? I have to miss my camp to go to this mandatory orientation. You know, I, what am I going to do? I'm in a tough situation. I called T. Rich. And I said, T. Rich, he said, what do you need? I said, man, I got to go to this mandatory thing. He said, I got you. You know, and he went and took over my camp for a day. The kids had a blast, took pictures. 
you know, ran it like it was his own, man. And, and that's the kind of, you know, brotherhood that we have as players. And uh, it's a beautiful thing, man. I got, I got to give a big shout out to T. Rich, man. He's a special person. That's what friends are for, man. That, that, that's the way I look at it. When you build friendships and, and friends actually helping you when, you're, when your back is against the wall. And that's where you look at quality and, and, and knowing that your friends are your friends. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You got to be there for each other. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great having him on the show. You know, our first guest on the weekend crunch, you know, big things, uh, you know, ahead for, for you and I, mm-hmm. uh, along with Speedy. You know what I mean? We, <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. You know, you know he, he always, he had his star. He had his spotlight for a little while last week. So we're going to give him his spotlight when we get to the eighth segment. But I, I do want to get into this Washington football team and the Washington football team and where they're going, where they're moving forward with this whole situation of trying to change their name. And now all of a sudden the story came out with uh, 15 workers stating there was some sexual harassment coming from executives and uh, part of the organization. I want to know your thoughts. And I'm going to read off in a little while uh, a statement that Daniel Schneider uh, pretty much uh, said to the press yesterday. But I want to know your thoughts with this whole story that just came out. Uh, it, it's very unfortunate, you know, and it's saddening to to hear that, uh, you know, all these women had to go through such a tough time just to pursue their career aspirations. You know, um, it, it's a tough atmosphere. You know, when you talk about the NFL, you know, it's it, you know, there's only one NFL. And when you get an opportunity to to work for a ball club, you know, it's an honor. You know, you're happy to be there. You're excited. Uh, there's a, a certain prestige that comes with working for an NFL team and to have to endure what these women had to go through, you know, with the, with the comments and uh, gestures and things like that coming from executives and employees of the organization, it, it, it's a shame, you know, and I, and I feel terrible for them because, you know, here they are, you know, making it to the, to the peak of their career, being in the positions that they, that they worked so hard to get to, and then you have to deal with all this stuff. So it, it's very unfortunate, you know, it's unacceptable. And, you know, I pray that, you know, you know, all organizations, um, NFL teams, you know, Fortune 500 companies, uh, law firms, everybody. I hope everyone is on alert that this is unacceptable and that there's there's quickly an end to this because, you know, we have to treat each other with respect. You know, everybody works to get to where they are and everyone deserves to go to work and be comfortable and, and not have to deal with, you know, harassment. So, you know, I, I hope something, you know, comes of this and, and, and we all learn a lesson. I, I listened to Daniel Schneider stating what he stated yesterday that this is not going to this is not going to be acceptable that things are going to change that's why we brought in uh, Ron Rivera the problem with this story that when it came out and really hit not only what's going on in the world right now because you see what's going on in the world with the George Floyd and now you're talking about uh, the, the stories coming out from one, one state to the other with uh, different things that are going on in sports with the, the bubble league and, and the NHL and the NBA. and Everybody's trying to find a good story, something that people could talk about, uh, being excited that sports is coming back this week with the MLB. And then you talk about the NHL and the, and the NFL. OTAs should be starting in a couple of weeks. You'd think that there would be a good story that's going to come out that'll help the world, that, that we would be some, it's something that we could be talking about moving forward. But instead, we're talking about Daniel Schneider and the stories that they've been a laughing stock. The Washington Redskins have been a laughing stock of the NFL for the last 10 years. They really have. Daniel Schneider bought the team, what was it, 15 years ago? And you look at the team right now as a whole, he overpays players. And I understand 
every player deserves every bit of money that they get. And I know that's what you're going to say, Eric, and I agree with you. If they're getting offered that money, you take that money because you don't know when your, your career is going to end. But what bothers me about this story is it seems like, just like the Cleveland Browns and sometimes the New York Jets, the stories in the press comes out with these crazy stories, and it completely get, backfires at the organization. And with the, with the Washington football team trying to change their name, and you think that was the, the, the number one thing that everybody wants to talk about, and that's what everybody wants to fix, all of a sudden the story comes out with sexual, um, sexual abuse over there with the Washington uh, football team. And now Daniel Schneider's trying to protect himself. And you're hearing owners trying to say that I'm not going to mention any owners, but there were some owners and uh, that I've read in different articles that so far since the story comes out that Daniel Schneider should be held responsible for this and that he should sell his team. And there are a lot of fans coming out in the last couple of days stating that they can't stand him. And Washington Redskins fans coming out and say they can't stand him as an owner and they want him out. So as a, as a fan and as a, a person who loves football and follows the Washington Redskins, I am not a Washington Redskins fan. I'm a New York Jet fan, as everybody knows. But I, I feel bad because this is an organization that's been in a shambles. The whole Alex Smith thing like a year and a half ago, him uh, practically – his career is completely over. And some of the stories coming out – Speedy, I want you to – Tell the fans a little bit about the story that just came out. You told me about this the other day. Yeah, there was a rumor that Alex Smith's injury, there was a backfiring of Alex Smith's injury caused by Jay Gruden. And Jay Gruden is in this scandal as well uh, for potentially with the sexual abuse charges that you were talking about. In terms of he was actually sleeping with one of the girlfriends of one of the running backs, Capri Bibbs. He was, I think, the fourth string running back or something like that. But he was playing in uh, in that particular week, and then he got benched. And then the backup, I don't know who it was at the time, missed the block that caused Alex Smith's gruesome injury. So now there, now there's lawsuits with that, too, coming in, all because of that. And Jay Gruden's now involved in this scandal. Well, you know, that, that certainly is a shame, and I, and I hope there's, there's, that's not true. But, you know, what happens in the dark, you know, will always come to light. You know, that's, that's what – you know, comes to mind when I think about these scenarios and, you know, talking about Dan Schneider and his reputation around the NFL, uh, you know, I don't know if many people know this, but the Washington Redskins and the Dallas Cowboys are two of the most profitable NFL teams, you know, whether they're winning or not, you know, they bring in the most revenue of any NFL team because of the market that they're in, uh, because of the brand that they've created. And, you know, for uh, a guy like Dan Schneider, what I've always heard from players is, you know, yes, he'll overpay. He'll, he'll pay. He'll pay handsomely to free agents that they love. And the reason why this team has not been able to have success is because they won't put money into the, you know, the, the facilities. Mm-hmm. You know, they have AstroTurf practice fields. They have uh, no indoor facility, you know, and it gets cold in Washington. You know, they don't put money back into to the resources that these players need. And it's very frustrating as a player. So, uh, you know, it has a bad, you know, the, the organization has a, a bad reputation around the NFL amongst players, you know, players talk and, um, you know, it, it just it's too bad because they make all this money. You know, it's a it's a great scenario that they have. And you would think that creating a positive environment, a great working environment for your employees and players would be at the top of that list. And unfortunately, you know, it seems like greed, you know, some some ego and some and some some other things have come into this equation to where it's a bad situ- situation for everyone. And, uh, and, and like I said, at the beginning, like I said, at the beginning, what happens in the dark soon comes to light and everything's coming to light right now. And it's, uh, and it's coming in a flurry. So uh, 
we'll see what happens with the organization. You know, I know there's going to be a lot of changes made and, you know, I'm looking out for these employees, these, these women that have been harassed, these players that have to play under these circumstances and, and hopefully everything turns for the good. Well, I, I love the wordplay, by the way. All your wordplays, flurrying and all that other stuff. It's awesome, man. But I, I, will, I will say this. Domestic violence, the NFL is trying to clean up. Now sexual harassment, the NFL is going to have to try to find a way to clean this up. This is not the only team that we've heard stories coming out from the NFL uh, in bits and pieces and stories coming out over the years from different owners and executives with sexual harassment. Not only in the NFL, but the NBA and the NHL and the MLB. So I think the league and the executives and the commissioner has to look at it in in, in the big picture. If we're trying to protect... Every single ethnic group, uh, females, males, anything, it doesn't matter. When you look at the big picture and you look at the big picture as a whole, the NFL, Roger Goodell, has to look at this and they have to drop the hammer on Daniel Schneider. If these stories are true, he has to drop the hammer on Daniel Schneider. I'm not telling you that he should sell the team. I don't think he should sell the team. I just think that Daniel Schneider knew about the, the name the Washington uh, football team. The Was- I'm going to say it, the Washington Redskins. And he, he's heard about this, and he, we've been talking about this not only on other shows on my network, but throughout the, the last couple of years they've been talking about this particular name. Why is it that this name has not been changed? This has been taking forever. And I think Roger Goodell has to drop the hammer on this. If everybody knows that this is offensive – well, if it is offensive, find a way to change the name. I don't know why it's taking months on end to figure out a name for, for this team. There are plenty of different names to change the Washington uh, football team to. I, I just don't understand why it hasn't been changed all these years. Yeah, you know, I, it, it's a marketing thing, you know, and it's always been something that, um, you, you know, I, I think that during these times, you know, all these, these social um, the social injustice that's been going on around our country and, and everyone's starting to be fed up. Like, listen, you know, I, I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm not going to take, uh, you know, I'm not going to take the, these things, these, these racist uh, names from, from sports organizations. I'm not going to take the, you know, this, this sexual abuse that's going on. There's a lot of things that are changing in this world today. And I just pray after all this chaos, all, after all this, uh, these trying times that our country is going through right now that we end up in a better place than what we started. So, um, you know, it seems like we're moving in the right direction. You know, we have to stay together as a country and, and understand that, uh, you know, there are going to be cases where we don't agree, but we have to stay together because we're in the same fight and we're on the same side. And, and as a country, we have to stay together. We have to stay united because that makes us the most powerful country uh, in this, in this whole world. So, um, you know, I, I'm happy to be an American. I'm, I'm blessed to be an Absolutely. American. And I think that we all have to, you know, sit back and understand that we're on the same team and that we want what's right for one another and have to have each other's back. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch, and this is brought to you by JVC Broadcasting, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, and the New York Sports Team Magazine. When we come back, a cup of coal on the Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Eric Coleman. Remember, we are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. 
I, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. We had our first guest of the show, Tony Richardson. This guy is a Hall of Fame fullback. I, I was very excited to get him on the show. I want to give a shout-out to Eric Coleman for reaching out to him and getting him on the show. But as you guys know, we do this every single week, and we're going to do this every single week. As you know, we're going to call this segment A Cup of Coal. A Cup of Coal. All right, everybody. This week, I got a lot on my mind. I got my, my cup of coal is this NBA bubble and the, the speculations and, and the, the rumblings that I'm hearing from the players about the accommodations, about the, the, the cleanliness of the rooms, uh, the, the tasting, the, the non-variety of foods that they have uh, for the meals, and all of this nagging and complaining from a bunch of multi-million dollar making NBA players who are in a multi-billion dollar bubble <laughs> that the NBA created for them. And there's a lot of complaints about every, all the accommodations. Now we're in a time right now in our country where a lot of people are out of work. You know, a lot of people, you know, they don't have food. They, they don't, ha- they can't make the ends meet right now. Their businesses can't open up. And then now I, I have to go on Twitter. I have to turn on my ESPN and hear about NBA players complaining about their lunch. I don't care about your lunch. I don't, I don't care about you, your lunch, just like a lot of people don't care about it. But guess what? You're blessed. You're in a great position to make a lot of money. You're young. You're thriving. You're in a, you know, you have a roof over your head. Your family is good. Come on now. Let's stop complaining about this stuff. Focus on playing basketball. Focus on uh, your craft. Focus on entertaining people because that's what you love to do most. You know, you're not here to, to talk about uh, your meals and complain about what's going on. And on the, on that note, Let's stop leaving the bubble and putting all those at risk inside the bubble. Because I have been hearing that the players have been stepping out of the bubble to try to go meet up with chicks, to try to go get something to eat, try to go get a sandwich. Come on, man. Let's think about somebody other than yourself. Protect those who are in that bubble and make sure that everybody and their family stay safe. You were talking about Dwight Howard, and that story came out yesterday, and everybody keeps talking about it, that when he he went out, he wasn't wearing a mask. And – I understand that you can't stay in one place. A lot of people want to move around. I'm one of those people. I cannot sit in one place. But when everything that was going on for the last couple of months, and you could see the outbreak that's going on in Arizona, Florida, and different, different states, and even different countries right now. In South Africa, it's completely spreading. Uh, Brazil, it's completely spreading. So there's so much going on right now and so many lives being lost. And the problem with the NBA, and I agree with you, Eric, why are the players complaining? They're making millions and millions of dollars. They're, they're in a multi-billion dollar bubble. They're getting they're, – they're get, again, when you look at the big picture as a whole, as, when you look at the NBA, Adam Silver wants basketball to come back. LeBron James came, back, came out and said it a couple of days ago that he's happy that basketball is coming back. But the problem is when you look at the whole and you look at Zion Williamson. I mean you heard stories coming out from Zion Williamson's camp that he's leaving because of family, uh, family situation. I'm not going to say it's true or not, but maybe Zion Williamson doesn't want to be involved with this. And one of the main reasons why, maybe one of his family members are sickly. Maybe him going back and forth to home. He Remember, he's from Florida. He's from the southern part of the area. And it, there's so much of an outbreak going on right now. Uh, you look at Zion Williamson, maybe he's just trying to protect him and his family. But again, 
the NBA is doing the right thing, bringing the sport back. You need to bring the sport back. They, they're trying to make this uh, a safe place for the players. You, you heard um, uh, one of the Nets. Who was, who was it? Um, Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie came down with COVID-19 for a second time. He's very sick. All these players, and you, you're hearing, even in college, college football is not coming back possibly to January. Might not even have a college football season because of this situation. Because when, when, when they were starting OTAs for college and practices, th- there were 30 or 40 different kids coming down with COVID-19. So it's a scary situation. And again, we don't know how bad this is going to be in the second take of this outbreak. So it, it, it does bother me that the NBA players are complaining. They should just shut up and play the game. And I, again, we all want sports to come back. We all want sports to come back. But I want to know your opinion. I heard stories coming out from the Portland Trailblazers that Carmelo Anthony lost a significant amount of weight. Mm. I mean, listen, I think that's a great thing. I love the fact that people, you know, when you talk about being quarantined and not being able to go outside and, you know, not being able to work and things like this, I took that as a time personally to better myself at a lot of different things. I wanted to to make myself a better person and use this to my advantage. And I think it's great when you hear, you know, athletes, when you hear people that that you know lose weight. They 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 bat, they've been fighting these 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 battles and they go about them. Carmelo Carmelo's going to come back in great shape. Um, you know, people learn different crafts. Let's make the most out of this time. You know, let's not sit back and feel sorry for yourself. Let's let's work hard and, and get better at, at what you want to do in life and come out a better person. And I'm excited to hear that about Carmelo. You know, I'm a big fan of Melo, you know, since, you know, he was at Syracuse. You know, he's a phenomenal talent, great person, and I'm happy that he's continuing his career in Portland. Well, I, I like Carmelo Anthony, too, and I only wish the best for him and his family. And, and this is a guy that's been overweight. When he played for the New York Knicks, he was about 25 pounds overweight. It did affect his game, and you could tell it affected his game with his jump shot. He's a complete, he will be a completely different player as a small forward if he really did drop 25, 30 pounds. And when you look at the pictures, he got really skinny. I mean, you could see it in his neck. You could see it in his arm. I, this guy has a tremendous ability, and he still could play the game. He's 36 years old. This man could still play the game at the top uh, at a top level. He can score 17 to 20 points a game off the bench with the Portland Trailblazers. What bothers me about Carmelo Anthony is why hasn't he done this for the last five, six years? It would have prolonged his career, would have probably made him a lot more money. I don't understand this. When he was a New York Knicks and everybody was complaining about his size and his weight, when he, when he came into um, – preseason you saw his body in his tone he he and people were telling everybody that he was wearing a girdle I mean everybody was making fun of Carmelo Anthony and his size and now all of a sudden you're hearing that he lost 25 30 pounds with this quarantine by dieting and he he believes that it's going to prolong his career even better in the next few years it'll put a little bit more time on his career so I I love the move for Carmelo Anthony I just wish he could have done it when he played for the New York Knicks maybe would have given him more consistency as a player for the New York Knicks. Yeah, you know, you know, it's it takes everybody different, you know, different situations for people to to mature and to understand that they need to start doing things differently. I mean, when you look at a guy who's as talented as Carmelo and has as much success as Carmelo did early in his career, he's probably, you know, has that 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 confidence, that arrogance that got him to be one of the best players in the NBA to say, why do I need to change my game? 
you know, I'm averaging 25 points a game. I'm all-star. I'm this and that, you know, you guys can complain all you want, but I'm still balling right now. And sometimes when you get out, get away from the game, when you get older, you get humbled a little bit. And that makes you want to go back to the basics and start to understand, you know, what can I do for myself, for my body to start getting better? You know, I know that when I first got in the NFL, you know, my diet was trash. You know, I ate out every every night. Uh, and that's you still just do. From being, you um, still that's do. <laughs> that's from doing what's convenient. But when you see these older players and how they have the longevity and they're like, I'm taking care of my body. I have a chef. You know, I do yoga. I do all these, go to these measures to take care of my body because your body is your temple. And sometimes it takes guys a little longer. And, you know, listen, Carmelo's 36 years old. I'm glad that at 36, he's starting to realize he has to take more care, better care of his body. And that's going to help him, you know, further his career. Speaking of basketball, there was a story coming out from the New York Knicks that they loved the interview with Jason Kidd. Now, a lot of Knicks fans do not want Jason Kidd being the head coach of their team, especially with the 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 back and forth banter on Tom Thibodeau. And I, I, I've been saying this for the last past seven months. And Eric, we've been sitting down at, for only a couple of weeks and really talking sports with each other. But I, on my radio shows, I've been preaching that the Knicks should go after Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau preaches defense. I think he could build from youngsters. I know a lot of Nick fans don't like the fact that Tom Thibodeau, if, if Tom Thibodeau took over for this team uh, because of the whole Timberwolves situation with uh, the Butler thing and, and the Carl Anthony Towns, the back and forth situation while they had to trade Jimmy Butler after trading a significant amount to bring Jimmy Butler in. So again, I, I, I know a lot of Nick fans do not want Jason Kidd. You got it. You, you have to look and do your due diligently when you're, when you're interviewing coaches. And Jason Kidd is one of the best basketball minds in NBA history. Say whatever you want about him as an NBA player or what he's done off the field, being, drinking and driving and crashing himself into trees and, and some of the stories that came out when he was married. We're, we're not talking about that Jason Kidd. We're talking about the coach Jason Kidd. And to me, what he did for the Lakers this year as a bench coach it really significantly made Anthony Davis better. Ask Anthony Davis who helped his game out going to the Lakers. And he, and, and he would probably tell you one of the main reasons why his game has gotten better was Jason Kidd. Now, Jason Kidd going to the Knicks, he played for the Knicks for one year. Uh, am I a big Jason Kidd um, fan? No, I'm not a big Jason Kidd fan if he took over as the head coach of my team. But... Uh, when you look at the big picture, Mark Jackson hasn't coached in years. Jeff Van Gundy hasn't coached in years. Uh, you're talking about all the different people that we're, we're hearing that they're interviewing for. And Tom Thibodeau, say whatever you want. He hasn't coached for a year. He took a, a year off after he got fired from the Timberwolves job. This is a guy that's been successful in the NBA. And Jason Kidd, who has been successful with the, the Brooklyn Nets or the New Jersey Nets, whatever you want to call them, when he was the head coach for them. So... I, I, I do like the move. If, if the Knicks decide to bring in Jason Kidd, if they feel 110% that he is going to help them uh, and bring them to the promised land, and that, uh, that means uh, a significant term of the playoffs and eventually win a championship, then I will, I will take it in and I will accept that Jason Kidd is the new head coach for the New York Knicks. Well, Errol, when you talk about being the head coach of the New York Knicks, it's more than X's and O's sometimes. It's more about what players can I attract? What free agents can we get in this organization to turn this thing around? Now, when you look at a name like Jason Kidd, he's well-respected around the NBA. Uh, you know, players love him. 
Uh, you know, you mentioned Anthony Davis saying he did wonders for his game. Uh, he has a wealth of knowledge of the game. He's one of the best point guards to play the game. And he can attract some free agents. So that's why he's going to be, you know, a, a sexy hire for the New York Knicks. Uh, you know, when you talk about Mark Jackson and, uh, and Van Gundy, I mean, these guys are great basketball minds as well. I mean, what Mark Jackson did with the Warriors was amazing. You know, I wish he could have, you know, stuck it through that, that last year and, and been on the coach, the team that Steve Kerr took over to go to the championships. But, um, you know, Mark Jackson is a New Yorker. He's a basketball mind. He's well-respected. He's been involved in the game, you know, via commentating, but you still have to watch a ton of film. You have to know, you know, the ins and outs of the league and what are the new trends. So he's still very much involved in the NBA. Uh, but, the Knicks are going to have to hire someone who is, who is attractive to, to free agents, who players respect, and who can get the job done in, in, a, in a great fashion and bring the Knicks back to you know, being a powerhouse team, you know, being a perennial, um, you know, playoff team, you know, every time they step on the floor. Because, you know, Magic, Ma Madison Square Garden is one of the most special places to come play a game. Uh, every You can ask every NBA star. They love coming to play at the Garden. And if you have a great head coach, That'll attract a lot of free agents that will, that will wear that Knicks jersey. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Weekend Crunch, we're going to get into my segment, Mark It Up. We have a lot to talk about here on the LI News Radio Network. Speedy bringing it back. G-Funk, baby. Uh, uh, uh. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Guys, follow us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Shout out to LI News Radio for letting us do our show every single week on their network. Shout out to New York Sports Scene Magazine, Mike Catino, and, and everybody that supports what we do here at uh, the Weekend Crunch. But... As you guys know, we heard the cup of call. Now it's my segment, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to do this every single week. This is Market Up. Well, my Market Up segment, last week we talked about the Kardashians. I talked about all the different stories going on in the world. This is a story that really brings me together because I knew Stefan Marbury. I, I played I played. Street ball with Stefan Marbury and Sebastian Telefair, his cousin. I know these guys personally, and Kenny Johnson. Uh, uh, so Kenny Anderson, I'm sorry, Kenny uh, Kenny Johnson, <laughs> Kenny Anderson as well. Uh, if, to me, if anybody didn't see the Netflix documentary on Stefan Marbury, well, you you've missed something great about what basketball should be preaching on a person that never gave up. Stefan Marbury is one of the most respectable point guards in NBA history. He really is. And you look at you look at him as a whole. A lot of people used to take shots at him, especially when he came to the New York Knicks. Uh, a lot of people thought he was a cancer when he went to the Suns, when he went to the Nets, when he went to the Knicks. The problem was Stephon Marbury was very hard to understand. And if you watch this documentary and get to know who Stephon Marbury is as a whole, believe it or not, him and Kevin Garnett were friends before they even came to the NBA. They used to hang out. They used to play street ball with each other. They used to play travel basketball with each other. They were very, very close friends. And when you got to see the, the documentary and get to learn a little bit about Stephon Marbury and his personality, and, and you really didn't know who he was until you really got to watch this uh, documentary. And the story really 
makes you look at the big picture. When you lose a parent like Stephon Marbury did and with the New York Knicks, his life completely changed. He completely changed as a player. He thought everybody was against him. His fam- He was really becoming depressed and socially not wanting to uh, talk to anybody. And he, he went on social media at the time when social media was just becoming popular and took shots at the fans, took shots at the New York Knicks organization. He didn't want to play in the basketball games. He sat out even when he wasn't hurt. And a lot of fans took shots at him because the NBA and the Knicks were trying to hide the situation as a whole. And on this documentary, you get to know a little bit about Stephon Marbury and what was going on in his mind when he was playing for the New York Knicks. And when he went to China, and when he grew up as a player, when he went to China, he was like 31, 32 years old. He was still in the prime of his career. He was still at the top of his game. He was still averaging 20, 20 points and six assists with the New York Knicks when, when the Knicks bought, bought him out. So when he got an opportunity to move and go to another country and really rediscover who he was as a player, it, it really changed his outlook to not only as a, a professional basketball player, but as a good Samaritan. He wanted to help people. He, he, he showed people that not only did he care about his own career and his own family, he cared about the people that was around him. And I know the stories, the stories as a whole, and a lot of people think that him and Kevin Garnett, at the end of everything, completely hated each other. I believe that when you look at Ray Allen, Ray Allen was on, the, he was in the documentary as well, and he played, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, he got game. And Ray Allen portrayed himself as Stephon Marbury. Even though he mentioned Stephon Marbury in the movie, he talked about being from Lincoln, playing for Lincoln, all those stories. Stephon Marbury was that guy. He was the superstar that came out from Lincoln. He was the guy that went to Georgia Tech and really changed the New New York basketball as a whole here in New York. And when he was drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks and then traded for Ray Allen on you know and the same day uh, going to the Timberwolves to play with his best friend Kevin Garnett, it really changed the way you looked at Stephon Marbury because he he has a him as a player and really as a as a grown man now now that he's done he's retired and everything like that he really looks at himself not as a basketball player as a person that you want to look up to because all the trials and tribulations he went through Eric and that story and that documentary which you never you're, you're going to I'm telling you definitely check out Netflix documentary Stephon Marbury it is a great great documentary and it it puts it, Stephon Marbury is one of my favorite players. And you could say whatever you want about Stephon Marbury. He is one of my favorite players because not only he comes from New York, he was a small guy. He wasn't a big man. He was six foot, maybe 5'11", and he dominated the game with precision and the, and the way he played. He was very athletic, and he had ball-handling skills up the, the yin-yang. And by the way, do you remember the draft that he came out of? Ray Allen came out of that draft. Allen Iverson came out of that draft. Kobe Bryant came out of that draft. So that you look at uh, as far as uh, superstars and Hall of Famers, there were about six or seven Hall of Famers, Eric, that came out of that draft. Yeah, an, an amazing draft. And I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Stephon Marbury from his days back at Georgia Tech when I discovered him, you know, when, when, I, when I first saw him play. You know, I, I'm, I'm a West Coast kid, so, you know, I didn't know much about New York basketball, but, I mean, the aggression that he would play with, you know, the athleticism, the explosion, it was, uh, it was great to see, man. And, and it's, it's, it's awesome to hear about the things that he's done later in his career. You know, you talk about the sneakers, 
the affordable sneakers that he created for the kids. Uh, you know, how his life changed when he went to China. Um, I, I love to see people grow, you know, especially athletes who, you know, our upbringing is, is different, you know, as athletes, you know, we have to, you know, we're always being catered to. And, and the fact that guys can, you know, change that around, turn into a great person and do more for others than they do for themselves is a wonderful story. So I'm, I'm going to check that, that documentary out tonight. And I appreciate the, you know, the, the lead up, the build up to it, man. I, I, I love Stefan Marbury. He deserves all the lead up, all the respect. I, I know a lot of people didn't like Stefan Marbury here in New York and he played for the Nets. He played for really the two New York teams or uh, tri-state teams and he was good with the Nets, just as good as, as he was with the Knicks. The problem was, is, and, and I'll say this again, Stephon Marbury went to teams that were rebuilding. The Timberwolves were the only team that wasn't rebuilding. They had Kevin Garnett there. They brought Stephon Marbury there. They were expected to win. He was upset, and, and you'll watch in the documentary. I'm not going to tell you everything about the documentary. When Kevin Garnett got that $126 million contract, and Stephon Marbury the year after was going to get his big contract as well. When the CBA changed and the NBA changed with all the different, um, you know, the contract disputes, um, Stephon Marbury only got $70 million while Kevin Garnett got 126. And Stephon Marbury believed that he was the guy, he was the number one guy for that team. He was the, the, the lead guy. It wasn't Kevin Garnett, but we knew. Well, the Timberwolves knew they wanted to build their team around Kevin Garnett. Did they do the right thing? Yeah, I would say they did the right thing because Kevin Garnett is a Hall of Fame power forward. And Stephon Marbury is not a Hall of Famer because of all the different things that he went through as an NBA player. When he went to the Suns, they never had a team around him. When he went to the Nets, they never had a team around him. When he went to the Knicks, they never built a team around him. He never played with another big superstar at any other team that he played for. So you can't blame Stephon Marbury for the lack of production of GMs uh, that he's worked with and ownership from the different places he played for. So I, I understand why everybody didn't like Stephon Marbury here in New York. But if you know the story, do you, does anybody know that Stephon Marbury was playing in a, in a game when his father passed away, he found out at the end of a game that his father passed away. Could you imagine the number one person in your life, the person that you respect more than anything in the world, the guy that brought you up playing basketball? And he had four brothers. Well, I'm sorry. He had, yeah, he had four brothers, him being the fourth, the youngest brother of them all. And and, and, and he lost the, his best friend. I lost my best friend, my father, three, three and a half years ago, four years ago. And I, to this day, I still think about him. So could you imagine a guy playing in the NBA, in, in an NBA season, losing his father, not knowing that his, knowing his father went to the hospital, but not knowing. Everybody thought that you know his father, his father was going to come out of it like he always did. He had diabetes, he had all the different problems that he had, medical problems that he had. And then you find out after the game that your father passed away. That completely can change everything in your life. And it did when he was on the New York Knicks. It absolutely did. And it's a shame because I believe Stephon Marbury could have been one of the best point guards to ever play the game. But because of the, the, the trials and tribulations he had to go through as an NBA player going from the Timberwolves to the Nets to the Suns to the Knicks, three organizations that are completely horrific, I mean, at best. What has the Suns done in the last couple of years? Nothing. What have the Nets done in the last couple of years? Really nothing. And what have the Knicks done? Don't even get me started about the Knicks. A joke of an organization. So it it is a shame that nobody gives Stephon Marbury, but China does. China over there in 
it, they have a statue of him. It, it, it's really incredible how he changed his career. How he, like you said, Eric, he brought he brought cheap sneakers for fans to buy, where they were twenty dollars sneakers. Where he played with those sneakers, so fans wanted to wear those sneakers because Stephon Marbury was wearing those sneakers. So he helped not only. People that couldn't afford Michael Jordan Jordans or uh, Kevin Durant or Kobe Bryant sneakers. He, he gave people the opportunity to absolutely have a chance to buy uh, sneakers that were affordable. So uh, it's an incredible documentary, Eric. And I, I definitely I definitely if you're a basketball fan, all you guys are a basketball fan. You absolutely have to go on Netflix and watch that unbelievable documentary on Stephon Marbury. Well said, brother. I mean, it's it's. I mean, he, what a great career, man! And, and I'm I'm really excited to check it out. I'm I'm gonna let you know. I'm gonna give my report, my review of the documentary uh, on next week's show. It, it it's it's completely uh, when when you look at Stephon Marbury as a whole, you will change your mind on Stephon Marbury if you're not a fan of his or you hated him as a New York Nick and you're a New York Nick fan. He will. This documentary will change your mind about him for the long run, and you will become. All you fans that weren't fans of Stephon Marbury, you will all become Stephon Marbury fans after this documentary. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, the last segment of the show, Crunch Time, here on The Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, this is The Weekend Crunch, and I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Eric Coleman. Remember, you can find us and listen to us every single day. Well, not every single day. Every single Saturday. I'm sorry. From 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Could you imagine every single day, Eric? I mean, I, I mean, there's nothing going be on. A treat. Yeah, it would be a treat. <laughs> it would be a treat. But there's nothing going on in sports until this week. Hopefully, baseball starts. But uh, we would have we would be thinking of things that we have to talk about. But um, as you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch on the LI News Radio Network. Uh, like I said, shout out to uh, JVC Broadcasting for letting us do this show every single week on Saturday. Uh, we're happy to be here. Shout out to Long Island. All the Long Island fans that wanted a sports radio show to represent uh, the voices of Long Island and Strong Island. We are here. Me and Eric Coleman are here to give you guys the voice that you guys always wanted to hear on sports radio. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to, to talk about sports on the island that we both live on that we both love mm-hmm. I'm down in florida right now but you know, <laughs> I, I love representing long island and in, in, in its culture man it's, it's a beautiful thing as you guys know we do this every single week the last segment of every single show we're gonna call this segment like we did last week crunch time it's time for crunch time so welcome to this week's edition of Crunch Time. We're going to do a buy or sell theme for this week. So buy or sell. First question for this Crunch Time. Buy or sell. Jamal Adams has been a bigger diva in his holdout than Odell Beckham was last season and seasons before with the Giants. Go ahead, Eric. I'm going to sell this, man. Y'all need to get off Jamal Adams. <laughs> Listen, the man wants to get paid. He deserves to get paid. I mean, you, you sit there as one of the best players in the NFL and, and you watch your, your peers. You know, you see Christian McCaffrey, Zeke Elliott, uh, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Derrick Henry. You see all these guys around you in your same situation getting paid, and yet you're the one that's left out. For what reason? Yeah, yeah, I don't know, but you got to fight for something. You stand for you stand for something or you fall for anything. So I, I'm, I'm going to rock with it. 
Jamal Adams on this one and sell? I'm going to buy, and I'll tell you why. Odell Beckham, before he got his big contract, he lived out his rookie contract. He did. Jamal Adams has not lived out his rookie contract. He's demanding the Jets to give him that big contract. I understand what you're going to say, Eric, and your arguments are valid. But again, when you look at Jamal Adams, live out your contract, then you're going to get paid. You know the Jets are going to pay you. So if you give the Jets a little bit of time and show the Jets that you're worth every single penny that you have produced for the New York Jets in the organization, the Jets will give you every single dime you're worth. So I'm going to buy. All righty. How, how about the players start living out their contracts when the when the teams start living out their contracts and stop <laughs> cutting guys before they, they end up? I agree with you on that one, too. So I'm not going to lie about that. So I will sell that one. <laughs> All right. Buy or sell. There will be another quarterback to get a 10-year deal like Patrick Mahomes got. Buy or sell. Go ahead. I'm going to go buy. I'm, I'm going buy. Patrick Mahomes is setting the bar right now. And, you know, you, you have Lamar Jackson coming up in a few years. You know, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to stay healthy. Obviously, he's a different talent than Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, coming up, they're going to – this is the this is the bar. This is what guys are going to be aiming towards. You know, when you look at the structure of Patrick Mahomes' contract, it's a 10-year, $39 million a year contract. And, you know, Russell Wilson's not far. He's not $35 million. You know, there's guys that are at $34, $33 million. Why not get to that $45 million a year contract? And I, and I think that's coming soon. I, I agree with you. I'm going to buy that one, too. Uh, actually, you sell, right? You sell or you buy? I one. bought it. I bought uh, it. I'm going to buy it, too. So I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you on that one. I, I, I do agree because when you look at Patrick Mahomes and, and the contract that he got, the 10-year, 450, close to $500 million contract, you look at contracts just moving up. You, you saw what Aaron Rodgers got a couple of years ago, worth about $139 million. He set the bar, and now you're seeing every single – other team trying to set the bar with their quarterback. And Lamar Jackson, look what Lamar Jackson did last year. He took his team, he won an MVP just like Patrick Mahomes did, and then if he wins a Super Bowl this year with the Baltimore Ravens, well, that he did exactly what Patrick Mahomes did. So what is he going to demand? He's going to demand even more money just like Patrick Mahomes did. So I'm going to buy on that one as well. Buy or sell. Kyrie Irving will not be a member of the Brooklyn Nets next season. <laughs> I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to to sell that one. You know, I, I think with Kevin Durant coming back into the fold, Kyrie's going to be excited about being a Brooklyn Net. Um, yes, he's been a diva. He's been a, a, you know, I've heard that he's been a tough teammate. But, you know, when you add a guy like Kevin Durant into the mix, you know, all that kind of calms down a little bit when you start winning. Winning is one of those remedies that just cures all. And I think that once they start winning games, everybody will forget about his being, him being a diva. You know, he'll want to be out there more. And, uh, and all these things will be pushed to the side. I'm going to agree with you. And I'll tell you why. Not because of your reasons. I'm going to agree because nobody's going to want him. <laughs> everywhere, everywhere this guy has gone, and he's only gone to two places, uh, he, he's had problems with the coaches. You, you, Kenny Atkinson got fired this past year when he took the team all the way to the playoffs last year, a team that had no superstars. So I, I look at the big picture right now. Nobody's going to want Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving thinks the world, the world is flat. The guy is out of his mind. And as great as he is as a talent, he's one of the best ball handlers, handlers we've ever seen. Ask Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson says he's the greatest ball handler he's ever seen. And that's one of the, this is the guy that really brought the crossover to the NBA. Um, I just don't think anybody's going to want him. And I do think winning really changes everything. And Kevin Durant is going to help them win. All righty. So buy or sell. 
Will one of Yannick Nagakue or Jadavian Clowney sign or get traded to, in Nagakue's case, a New York football team? Ooh, that's a, that's a great one. I would love to have either one of those players on, on my Jets. Uh, but, you know, it's it's been tough for Nguakwe, Nguakwe to, to find a, a team uh, to, to come to. Uh, so, man, I'm going to buy it, but I don't know which team is going to make the – make the case for the, those two players. I'm going to sell it. I don't think any of the New York teams are going to get them. And I'll tell you why. They had a chance to get Jadavian Clowney. The New York Jets did. And even the New York Giants made an attempt to try to go after Jadavian Clowney early in free agency. Jadavian Clowney is expecting between 17 and $19 million. He did say he will take a little bit less. What is it going to take? $2 million less? $15 million? This, this guy is not going to get the money that he wants because the guy can't stay healthy. And when he does stay on the field and he is healthy, he plays good football. But when he doesn't, he doesn't provide the, the pass rush that everybody thought he was going to provide when he came, in, you know, he came into the draft as, as a high pick. As far as Ngakwe, Ngakwe is a great player. And he showed, he showed everybody that he is a top eight, top seven pass rusher in the league. The problem with Ngakwe is the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to expect a lot back for a pass rusher of that magnitude. And they're talking about possibly a first round and a top player on another team. Uh, and I know, I know the Jets have brought it up in, in some, you know, some rumors that have come out from the Jets organization that the Jets would be willing to trade Jamal Adams for Ngagwe and maybe a pick. I don't know if Jacksonville is going to accept that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the opposite way. I'm going to go sell. Buy or sell, Drew Locke will take the biggest leap among second-year quarterbacks this season. Ooh, that, that is an interesting one. I'm going to sell it. You know, I, I don't know if he's going to have the opportunity uh, to step in and just be the main guy. You know, I, I think he is a, is a very good talent, but I'm not sure if he's going to get the keys to the car uh, at this point in his career. Huh. I like Drew Locke, and, and my partner, uh, Mikey C., who has a- absolutely spoke high, high praise of him when he was drafted at, 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 in the second round. I think he was drafted in the second round by the Broncos. I, I like what, what they added. They added Judy. They added some wide receivers. They have a pretty good offensive line, even though they lost McGovern to the New York Jets. I, I think that this team is ready to move forward. I don't know if he's going to be a top 10 quarterback this year, but I think he's going to move up in the rankings because he has the ability and he showed that he's got a great arm. He can move inside and outside of the pocket. So, but I, I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell on that because I just don't think he's ready yet. All right. Buy or sell. We'll go to baseball. Garrett Cole will finish higher in the Cy Young Award rankings than Jacob deGrom. Ooh, I'm, you know what? I'm going to buy that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think Garrett Cole is, is coming to a great situation. He's going to have a, a ton of support, a ton of run support from his teammates. And the Yankees are healthy right now. You know, I, I think that they're going to make a great run at this. Uh, he's in, you know, the, the, the greatest city in, in the world. And uh, he's going to get a ton of attention. So I, I'm going to buy that one. I don't like the contract, but I'm going to buy it as well. Because I think Garrett Cole being put on a team that has not one, not two, not three, but four starters that could start on any other team as a, either a number one or a number two in James Paxson, Nasuhiro Tanaka, and the players that they have right now. And they have one of the best bullpens in the league. So it's going to help. 
it's going to help Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole came from the Astros. Did they have a, a good bullpen? They had a decent bullpen, but not like the New York Yankees. And the Yankees lineup this year is stacked. If they could stay healthy, they're going to give them run support, which he his you know over the last couple of years, even with the Astros, he's had a lack of. So I'm gonna I'm gonna buy that. I'm gonna buy that because I think Garrett Cole is as good as any pitcher in baseball. And even though Jacob Degrom in a 60 game season this year. It favors him, especially not winning as many games and having one of the best ERAs in baseball and the best whip in baseball. I'm going to go with buy. I think Garrett Cole will be on top of the league as far as a Cy Young candidate. Buy or sell, if he has another strong season, TJ Watt will be paid as a top five pass rusher by the Steelers. Ooh, I'm, I'm going to buy that. Listen, tra- pass rushers are like unicorns you know they're very hard to find and when you have a pass rusher that is effective that gets after the quarterback that's going to get you consistently 14 15 sacks a year I I mean you have to reward that player you know TJ Watt is no he's not um, you know he's not I don't think he's the best pass rusher in the league but he's certainly this is his time and the timing is right he's going to get paid like he's the best pass rusher in the league because it, you know, it's that, it's that timing situation, but um, you know, he definitely deserves it. He's a great player and uh, he's only getting better. Are we talking about TJ or JJ? TJ Watts. I think TJ Watt is going to get every single dime that he's expecting to get. So I'm going to buy it. Uh, this is, this is one of the best linebackers in football. He, he plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers at Pittsburgh Steelers for years had good linebackers. And now they, they added a linebacker of this magnitude. He's shown everybody, every single year, Slowly but surely, he's gotten better with tackles. He led, I think he was second or third in the league in tackles. I mean, mm-hmm. this guy is a tackling machine. And, and I'm not trying to compare him to his brother, JJ, because they're completely different. But this guy is a, a born leader. This guy is going to be the leader of the defense. When we talk about all those years with Troy Palomalo being the leader as a safety on the team, now they have a linebacker that has... Uh, distinct uh, ability that can do so many different things. He can drop back in coverage. He can blitz the quarterback. So I'm going to buy this. And I I do believe TJ Watt is going to be one of the highest paid linebackers in all of football. All right. That's it for this week's edition of the weekend crunch. Buy or sell edition. You know, it's so, it's so amazing when you think about football and football is coming back by the way. And I don't know what Roger Goodell is going to do moving forward. As far as the fans concerned, uh, I know I heard that uh, Baltimore was going to allow 14,000 fans in their stadium. There are other teams saying they're going to have at least 25 to 30% allowed to come to the stadium. Um, I, I'm interested to see how they're going to do it, how they're going to spread out with the whole COVID-19. Are they going to have people sit every five chairs, every six chairs, every four chairs? How are they going to go upon doing this? And, and also, with all the workers in there, all the, uh, the beer distributors, all the different organizations that are working over there with uh, the quick checks or whatever that are going to be at the stadium where you can buy food and stuff like that. How are they going to go upon doing that when there's lines? Bathrooms, how are they going to do that with lines? Are they going to have somebody wash the stalls every time somebody touches it? I mean, these are things that the NFL is going to have to figure out and Roger Goodell is going to have to figure out, Eric. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough scenario and it's not one uh, that can be made uh, not a decision that can be made overnight. And, you know, there's a lot of logistical things that have to go into this. Um, you know, there's going to be, have to be constant testing, but, you know, I, I think the great thing about the NFL situation is they're going, going to have the NBA major league baseball and the NHL ahead of them. So they can learn from what they do, learn from their mistakes, uh, use their the things that work that are effective uh, to help this game uh, be safe. And, uh, and let the fans be able to enjoy it. And by the way, a shout out to all the fans. I, I know a lot of fans don't think we're going to talk hockey. When hockey starts and when we, we talk about previewing hockey with the Rangers and the Islanders, 
Um, I, we're definitely going to talk hockey. We're going to get some hockey guests. We're going to get some ex-NHL players on the show. We're also going to bring some analysts, maybe um, some Ranger analysts like Sam Rosen. So stay tuned, guys. We will talk hockey. I know a lot of fans are, you know, they don't get their, they don't get their voice heard for hockey here on Long Island. We will give you the voice of hockey. Yes, even Eric Coleman will speak hockey with all the fans mm-hmm. out there. So get ready for it, ladies and gentlemen. That's it for the Weekend Crunch this week. When we come back next week, we're going to have more special guests. We will definitely have a promo on uh, JVC Broadcasting on all their channels on 103.9. Shout out to the LI News Radio Network for letting us come on the show and t- be the voice of sports radio here. Eric, I... I me and you are just going to get better. We are going to get better as partners as we move forward. And when you actually do come up here and we are sitting in a studio together and doing a show going back and forth, it's going to make it a lot easy seeing you, my friend. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I enjoy doing the show with you, man. I'm looking forward to the future. And I can't wait for sports to start. So we have something concrete to talk about and, and give our opinion on. But, you know, I appreciate you. And uh, let's do it again next week. The Weekend Crunch, ladies and gentlemen, is live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Next week, we'll be back, me and Eric Coleman, so stay tuned. Until then, this is me, Errol Marks, and Eric Coleman saying goodnight, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.